We're going to continue the series that you have been all uh, following in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Um, my focus today will be Mark chapter 9. I'm going to pick up verse 30 through verse 37. I know uh, Pastor Aaron has been focusing a lot about how it is we live this life out for Christ um, as it relates to being disciples of Christ. And so uh, today I want to pick up right on Mark 9, starting from verse 30. And uh, before we we dig in, uh, I don't know, when when I was a young boy, a little, uh, just a couple of years ago, I remember uh, hearing adults asking children, including myself, they would ask us all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you would hear, you know, children say, oh, I want to be a police officer, a fireman, a lawyer, a doctor, a dinosaur, you know. And now as an adult, I hear adults asking other adults, when are you going to grow up? It's almost like it comes full circle this topic of growth, of growing. Um, I believe that we don't uh, stop growing. And specifically in our spirit man, we must always be open to growth as we deepen our relationships with Jesus Christ and that reckless love that we sang about that he has for us. He chases us down. And because of that love, It urges us to grow deeper and deeper with him in this relationship. And so I want to title my uh, sermon today, Grow Down. Grow Down. And my focus statement is, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. And we'll dig deep into that specific statement as we uh, unravel three focuses. Resist selfish pride. Service is greater than status. And then ultimately we'll unwrap, grow down. So as we pick up Mark chapter 9, verse 30, it reads, and I'm reading from the NIV version, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. So let's stop there. Uh, It's important to acknowledge uh, something here. When it says that Jesus is teaching and did not want anyone to know where they were, he is basically saying, Peter, stop the selfies. No selfies right now. Let's focus here. Let's, let's dig in. And in his wisdom, he wanted to teach them something, but not embarrass them in public. He wanted to do it in private. Because good leadership takes one aside and brings correction, discipline, teaching moments in private. And that's how we can grow as individuals. He doesn't want to do it in public to embarrass them. And we continue reading verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? 
but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. This is the posture of a servant's heart. Someone who serves unselfishly. And to understand this word servant, we must define it from the Greek. There are two words that define the word servant. First one is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon, which is to serve endlessly and restlessly. But we also have another Greek word, which is doulos. And doulos, when it's defined, means slave, bondman, one who, himself, who puts himself up against another's will to serve as being used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men, devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest, a servant, an attendant. During Paul's time, where we read in the New Testament, there were nine slaves for every one free man. And scholars have estimated that the number of slaves could have been as high as 60 million in Europe. Slaves who were purchased by their master but could buy their freedom after some years of service or and good conduct. Ordinary slaves had no legal rights under Roman law, and slave masters had absolute control over their lives. But some slaves were, however, called bond servants, which is the word doulos who served for a period of time to redeem a debt. If they could not pay a debt back with money, they would serve that time as bond servants. When the servant's time was complete, they chose to continue to serve, and that's the way up. See, they had the right as bond servants to fulfill their debt, pay their debt back, and go back to freedom. But because they enjoyed so much the posture of a servant, they enjoyed so much the satisfaction of seeing others being served and fulfilled, they continued to serve willingly. And that's true freedom. Which brings me to our first focus of this morning's sermon, Resist Selfish Pride. When we look at verses 33 and 34 where we read here in Mark chapter 9, it says they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. It's interesting to me, Jesus had just finished telling them that they were going to kill him, that he was going to die. And they're arguing about who's the greatest among themselves. Talk about lack of empathy. Jesus is saying, guys, they're going to take me. I don't know how Jesus conveyed it. 
I don't know if he was emotional. I don't know if he was straight to the point. But the bottom line is their leader was about to die. And they're like, yo, I'm better than you. No, are you better than me? You think you're better than me? They're arguing about selfish accolades, selfishness, and pride come before the fall. In our culture, this uh, culture we live in, postmodern and, and uh, selfie, selfish culture that we live in, we constantly put people on pedestals for being the greatest baseball players, the best basketball players. Don't you dare tell me LeBron is better than Michael Jordan, please. <laughs> we have the most acclaimed actors and actresses. We give them awards. As disciples jockey for position in this conversation, I wonder if the following dialogue was taking place here. Perhaps Peter spoke up first, reminding them that he was the first to confess Jesus as the Messiah. Or Andrew may have said, not so fast, bro. They were brothers. I'm the one who introduced you to Jesus. I should be greater. Or maybe Judas spoke up and said, what about me? He trusts me to take care of his money. We all know how that ended up. In this selfie, iPad, iPhone, iHeart world, it is easy to think about ourselves and maybe consider others when, if, we have time to spare. Not only is Jesus teaching us that we need to consider others first, but he is saying we should have the right motive when we're serving others. Our heart's posture must be in the right place as we are serving others unselfishly. It's not about how much we gave to missions last year or how many hours we accumulated as volunteers, so on and so forth. It is all about what the experience has done to make us more passionate and more loving. Resisting selfish pride is all about not entertaining what we want for ourselves, but fulfilling our call and our purpose, serving others, because it is what brings us the most significance in life. Maybe Peter, James, and John were strutting because they were up on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. You all heard about that a couple of weeks ago from Pastor Aaron. It was C.S. Lewis who said that pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. God puts it like this in Jeremiah 45, 5, and do you seek great things for yourselves? Seek them not. Jesus is teaching us that when we serve, not only should we serve unselfishly, we should serve with the right motive. It is not the status that we're about to obtain. It is not the amount of money that we invest and to say, yes, we did it. It is to say, this is what has happened to my heart as a result of me serving someone else. It is not about a destination in this world, in this life. It is about the journey along the way. Who are we becoming as we serve others unselfishly? What is happening to our hearts as we are giving of ourselves to others that may be in more need than us? Brings me to our second point this morning. Service is greater than status. Verse 35 
Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Who likes to be last? We were at a church picnic yesterday here at uh, Van Son Park in Paramus, and we were playing kickball, and I was, they made the two pastors uh, captains of the team, which was a horrible mistake because I am so competitive. And so, you know, I had to pick strategically. And uh, we were so, so competitive, you know, talking smack, as we say, right? Trash talking. And we ended up winning, of course. Um, nobody volunteers to be last. It's not natural. This is countercultural and counternatural uh, uh, for Jesus to say something like this. He didn't come to establish comfort. He came to establish his kingdom here on earth, and he shows us how. He says, be willing to serve rather than be served. It is Jesus who paved the way and showed as an example when he brought out the towel and the buckets of water, and he told the disciples, come, let me wash your feet. If you understand, in those days, they did not wear uh, uh, boots. They did not wear shoes. They wore sandals. And because of the walking journey that they had every day, their feet would get so dirty. And it was customary to get to the, someone's house, and there was a servant that would have everything ready right in front of the entrance of the door so that you can wash and cleanse your feet, take off your sandals so you can proceed into the dining area and they would all eat sitting down or kneeling down and Jesus says I'm gonna do that for you and it is Peter who right away says Jesus I'm not worthy you know that false humility Jesus I'm not worthy and Jesus says Peter you you don't you don't get it because Peter then goes well then if that if that's the case then then wash all of me and Jesus says, Peter, you definitely don't get it. <laughs> it is a position to understand that when we serve others, something happens to us. There is one thing to know your purpose in life, and there is another thing to know your significance in life. And Jesus is trying to teach us that as we serve, we move from purpose to significance, that when we were to pass on and leave a legacy in this world, what would people say about us? The amount of assets we had, the amount we have in our 401k, the amount we have in different diversified portfolios, or will they say, wow, this person served their life away? Jesus is establishing this principle in order for us to understand that service is greater than status. You see, what the disciples were really discussing was which one of us is more important? Which one of us has the status? VIP, wherever Jesus goes, we have the VIP wristband so we can get in and out anywhere we want to go. And Jesus corrects their corrupt mindset regarding how the kingdom of God works. See, our earthly mindset is one of gaining a higher and higher position from hard work or better yet, who you know. 
Jesus says to them, guys, you have it all wrong. Notice Jesus' words to them in correcting them. His words are direct to the point. If anyone desires to be first, he says to them. His words are dramatic, new, challenging concepts. He says, first, if you want to be first, you shall be last. That's very dramatic. His words are decisive. It's not just a good idea, but the way it is, like it or not. He says, the last shall be servant of all. And in his words, it could be considered that he was a bit divisive. He ran the risk. Some might like and accept what he is saying. Some or all might not like or accept what he was saying. In other words, Jesus took the risk to establish a principle because principles are non-negotiable. He says, some may accept what I am saying, some may reject it. And it seems a little divisive, but the point is Jesus is trying to establish if you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want status, you have to serve. Jesus, as a strong leader, was a man of truth. And the truth is not to be compromised, regardless how many like it or not. Truth is not to be compromised. What does this tell us today? That if we are more worried about status, title, who we know, who we're connected to, etc., we are not thinking with a kingdom mindset. We are being selfish and we're not serving with the right motive. We must change what I like to call our stinking thinking and remember that this is not about position, but it's all about purpose that leads to significance. If we seek position, we don't fulfill our purpose. Does it break your heart when you see someone that's least well off than you are? Does it break your heart? Do you feel empathy or do you feel pity? Two different things. Does it break your heart? Not to say there's many times that we see situations where perhaps people have made decisions that have led them to be in the state that they're in. They've made Conscious decisions that have led them to be in the life that they are living. Yes, I was there once myself. But the Bible calls us to see past that and be moved with compassion as Jesus was. And see them not for where they are, but for where they can be when the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to them. And they can embrace it and be moved a place that's better than where they are. And so that's what Jesus is telling us. Jesus, don't argue about who's first. Don't argue about your status. Don't argue. Don't even worry about that. When you are of a kingdom mindset, you don't even worry about what position you're in. You're more concerned, how can I serve more? How can I serve my fellow brother, sister better? My third point grow down. And this is where we're going to really go deep. Verses 36 and 37. 
It says he took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus makes sure to use an illustration that they would all understand because it was important to establish this principle that they may learn it and they may apply it. I don't know about you, but have you ever experienced stereotype or prejudice? It's interesting because um, I, I travel quite often, and once in a while I get bumped to first class. Woohoo! They slide a little curtain, and all of a sudden you're, you're, in, you're in a better status. And I was sitting uh, next to someone uh, one trip, and, and she kept looking at me and kept looking at me, and I could feel her, her, her looking at me, you know. And I like to put my earbuds in and just, you know, either listen to worship music and try to fall asleep. Uh, but it was just there. She was just curious. And she pokes her head out and she says, are you a baseball player? <laughs> uh, what do you do with that? I mean, I am, but I don't play for the major leagues or anything like that. <laughs> but what she was saying is, the only way you can be sitting up here is if you're a professional baseball player. And I didn't get offended because you kind of get used to that after a while. But it dawned on me, wow, is it possible that people may have good intentions but still have prejudice and stereotypes and even racism in their hearts? Even believers... Even Christians, is it possible that we as Christians can see people still with a little bit of, hmm, I wonder. And Jesus takes a little child and brings the child as an example. Did you know that Jesus spoke Aramaic and in Aramaic the word child is translated into servant? Why? Because a child was the last in the totem pole. Children were not counted back in those days. When the Bible talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000, it says without counting the women or the children. They were not recognized as important. And so Jesus takes a child representing someone in, that in the, cultural, in the culture was not important to teach a powerful, powerful principle in the kingdom of God. Jesus takes him, uses the nobody to teach us all what we should do with a moment like this. I'd rather be a nobody in the kingdom of God than a somebody in this culture. i rather serve my heart out. i rather serve to where every night I can go to sleep and lay my head in my pillow and say, this feels great, than to have some title and, and, and some, some recognition in this world that really does nothing for me. 
See, Jesus uses this child. He says, why this child? Because this child has unrestrained joy. A child has unreserved love. A child has uncomplicated trust. A child doesn't hold grudges. A child doesn't see race. A child doesn't judge. A child wants to be what I like to call the ABCs of humanity. A child likes to be accepted. A child likes to belong. And a child likes to be connected to community. The ABCs of the human needs. Everyone wants to be accepted. Everyone wants to belong. Everyone wants to connect to community. Yesterday, as we were picking teams, you know, as you start getting to the last people, they, they, they look at you like... <sighs> and, and you, you, know, you understand because, when, well, I, at least I do because when I was younger, I, I wasn't as tall as I am now, and I was always the little guy trying to, oh, pick me, you know, pick me. And my older brother always got picked, and I'm like, pick me. And I would think my brother would vouch for me, like, yo, get my brother. And I'm like, oh. And then as a middle child, you're always forgotten. Literally. We were at church. I fell asleep in the back pew, and my mother went home, and I was in church. <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the night scared to death. You would think church would be the safest place, right? That you would feel waking up at 4 or 3 or whatever o'clock in the morning. I was scared. I'm like, ah! Is this the rapture? What happened? <laughs> so you feel some, some type of way. You feel forgotten. You feel uh, you're not selected. I'm so glad that Jesus said, I, you did not choose me. I chose you. But he chooses us for a purpose, and that purpose starts with serving others unselfishly. That purpose is for us not to seek status, but it is for us to continue to serve. And it challenges us to grow down. Why down? We're always asking, grow up. When are you going to grow up? In the kingdom of God, we grow down because growing down is where we get rooted is a posture of humility. John the Baptist says it is, it is uh, necessary that I decrease so that you, Jesus, would increase. You see, the more we go down in our walk with, with the Lord and the more we humble ourselves with the Lord, the more Jesus starts to surface. The more we deny our own wants and desires, the more Jesus starts to reflect out of our lives. I'm reminded of the Chinese bamboo tree. The Chinese bamboo tree is very, very interesting. You plant it, and the first year, nothing. Second year, nada. Third year, nil. Fourth year, whatever language you want to use, zero, zilch. But here comes the fifth year, and wow, what a miracle. All of a sudden, not only does it grow, but it grows so high. It grows between 80 and 90 feet tall in just six weeks. All those days, weeks, months, and years that seemed as if they were a waste, all of a sudden is rewarded in weeks' time. Why? Because every day 
there was perseverance, persistence, and watering it. How do we water our spiritual lives? With the Word, with the Holy Spirit every day. Digging into it, Lord, what are you telling me? Show me. What are you speaking to my life right now? Whatever situation I'm in, I'm going to be led by his spirit to read of his word so I have the guidance necessary for that day. And I totally depend on it. I say to, I, I say to our congregation on Sundays, I hope you don't depend on Sundays to eat for the rest of the week. Sundays, this is a great opportunity for all of us to come together and worship together and be together and shake each other's hand and say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. But when we eat up his word, it should not be suffice for the whole week. Imagine if you physically ate only on Sundays and you said, I'm good for the rest of the week. Good. 2,000 calories today. That should be good. No. So is our spirit man. Our spirit man cannot depend on just listening to the word of God on a Sunday. Every day we must ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, today I need you. Where can I get of the riches of your word for my day? And the Holy Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit will show us and he will speak to our hearts as we open ourselves to him. And that's how we water the seed in our soul then we have to have fertile soil. Fertile soil is that open heart, that willingness to accept what God is telling us, even if it's hard, even if it's tough to listen to. You know, the, the Lord was telling me uh, the other day, we were going through um, some situations that uh, were difficult to face as a church, and my wife and I, we, you know, we're praying, we're talking to each other, and the Lord was, was speaking to me, and I didn't like what he was saying. He was telling him, he was he was saying, Juan, you're beginning to be a little prideful. Relax. That's exactly what he told me. And I got upset. And I told him about it. I said, Jesus, I don't like that. I'm your servant. But I have to accept it because what he's trying to do in my heart, he's trying to form himself in me. He's trying to build himself in me so that I, when I am walking in this life, when I am coming across and interacting with others, that I may be Christ in the midst of those that I surround myself with. And then finally, the bamboo tree, not only did, did it get watered every day, not only was it in fertile soil, but it had to receive sun. And you and I, every day we must receive of the son, S-O-N. That relationship that we have, that intimacy that we have with him. When we are intimate with Jesus, the Bible says that when Adam knew Eve, they had Cain. When Adam knew Eve, they had Abel. That means that word to know in the Hebrew means intimacy. There was a product of their intimacy. There was fruit of their intimacy, and the word itself has it. It says, intimacy, into me, see. And as we open ourselves to him, something has to come out of that. This life of service, this unselfish life, where we have no choice but to give ourselves away 
We have assets. We have resources. It doesn't always have to be financial. It could be skills that we have in our hands. It could be our time that we dedicate to serving someone or something for the purposes of glorifying our Father that's in heaven so that Jesus Christ can continue to show himself strong through our lives. The Chinese bamboo tree, for the first four years, it's almost like you wasted your time. And some of you may, be, may have served and said, you know, it's just money going to waste because nothing comes out of it. We, send, we get those backpacks and, and the kids in Patterson, but nothing changes and Patterson is still the same. And you may feel that way, and I understand that. But Christ is calling us to persistence, to perseverance, to trusting his work. That everything that you and I do is not in vain. It is a seed sown. And the Bible says in the beginning, Genesis, that everything that we sow or everything that is sown has to bear fruit according to its own kind. So if you're bearing fruit with a servant's heart, that's going to bear fruit. If you're sowing seeds with a servant's heart, that has to bear fruit. If you're sowing seeds with an open heart saying, God, I want this seed to produce. I want this seed to make a difference in this family. I want this seed to make a difference in this church, in this community. Believe that that seed has to produce according to its own kind. The Chinese bamboo tree is an example that when we feel like we're really not making a difference. One day it'll surprise you. One day it'll come out and start growing faster than you imagine. And if we are consistent and we stick to it, we will hear those words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, well done, thy good and faithful servant. It doesn't say good and Last-minute servant or faithful. And that word faithful speaks of going through stuff, going through a time, going through a process, becoming who God wants you to become for his glory. He wants us to serve. And when we serve, something happens in us. I go back to that because I think that's the most important thing. That's what growing down means, that something is happening to us here as we serve others. And I'll finish with this story. There was a, a church that was going to start a new Bible series study for their small groups. And the study was based on Malachi chapter 3. There's a verse that says, and he, would, he will refine us like a silversmith. And the silversmith is the person that comes and, and has the metal and makes it go through the process that ends up being silver. And there was a leader in the church that had never heard that scripture and was curious because this leader had to lead their group in this, in this series that they were going to start. And so he began to look for a local silversmith. And as he was looking, he found one very close to his home. He decided to call up, and the silversmith said, yes, we're open. Come on down. He goes down, and about 10 minutes to close, there's no customer that's coming in and out. And so 
The leader says, would I be able to ask you some questions? The silversmith said, sure. Put the clothes sign on the store. He understood that there was something here. And the leader asked him, well, how does this process work? And so the silversmith goes to the back and, and brings this big black piece of metal and throws it on top of the counter. And the leader says, what is that? And he says, this is silver. He says, doesn't look like it yet, but you'll see soon enough. There's an oven with a window. You could see the, the, the flames in the oven. He takes the black piece of metal, he throws it into the fire. And it begins to sizzle and and you see all the black stuff coming off this piece of metal. The leader says, can I ask you, how, how, how do you know how long it should be in this oven? And the silversmith says, well, I have to leave it long enough so that all the impurities can come off. But I can't leave it too long because I lose the whole project. He excuses himself. He goes into the furnace. He brings the piece of uh, black metal out and he brings it back onto the counter so it can cool off. They continue to talk as the leader is, is writing notes, almost like journaling what God is telling this leader through this experience. The silversmith excuses himself again and takes the black piece of metal that now is grayish, throws it back into the furnace for more heat. Then after a while, brings it back out, puts it on the counter, and the leader at this time is crying because what the metal was going through in the fire is what this leader felt he was going through. Trials and tribulations and all sorts of issues. The silversmith represented God guiding the whole process. And the silversmith now begins to polish the metal. You start seeing the silver come through. And the leader says, can I ask you one last question? And the silversmith smiles. He says, sure, ask me anything. He says, how do you know you're done? And the silversmith smiles because he, he knew that was coming. As he's polishing, he says, I know I'm done when I can see myself in the silver. When we are servants of God, what God is doing, he's polishing us so we can look like Jesus. Because this is all for the purpose of glorifying God our Father and for us to look like his son, Jesus. So others would have no doubt what our purpose is in this world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father.